Let's pray. Lord, in these next few minutes, we just pray that you'll be enjoyed. Pray that we'll bring glory to you in the way that we engage the word. We pray that you have been enjoyed already in the way that we have expressed our enjoyment in song. Lord, we confess that the blood of Jesus will do till all the ransomed church is saved and to sin no more. Just pray that that'll be sufficient for us. Pray that this morning that that blood will be on display. Lord, also while we're here at Grand Park, we want to pray for some local churches, churches that are on this side of town. We'll pray for North Baptist Church, Kelly and Pam Regan, Penile Church of the Nazarene, Ron and Roxy Height, Penile Baptist Church, Samuel and Catherine Glenn, Greater Rose of Sharon, Church of God in Christ, Michael Charles and Patricia Williams, Bethlehem Baptist Church with Roosevelt Broach and his family. Lord, we want to pray that these churches will be enjoying you on this side of town. We don't come over here hoping to rescue any local churches. We come over here hoping to inspire local churches that their little niche, their little neighborhoods are worth worshiping in, that they'll be encouraged. Lord, we pray for those churches that they are enjoying the gospel. I pray for those pastors that they are unpacking the word week by week, that you'll guard their hearts from being driven by method, but that they'll be consumed and transformed by message. We pray that their churches will follow suit. Pray that people will be arrested by the gospel and they'll be fueled by that gospel and directed in a spirit-driven way to enjoy you out loud. Lord, we pray that in whatever way that we can serve alongside these churches, that maybe we're doing that today by being here on location, that you'll be glorified. We love you, Lord, and we turn this time over to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me set your mind at ease before we climb into this message. It's pretty brief compared to normal. And um, I'm mindful that you have kids, littlest kids with you. And I, I want to encourage parents to know that it's okay if your kids make some noise. All right? It's not a big deal. Uh, we know that the Lord loves little children, so we'll love them too. And we'll be okay if they wiggle and squirm and if you have to wrestle a little bit. You might have to listen to this sermon again later on this week online, and you might think, well, what was that? That was a waste of time. I was wrestling my kid the whole time. One thing you do is you're showing them that this matters. You're showing them this time that we gather matters. So don't, wor- don't fret. Don't worry. If you don't get every point, every note, you can come back and pick this up later on this week, but it will be as brief as I can possibly make it. Let me encourage kids, too. You can get this, too, kids, most of you. Some of you can get this. It's not complex. It's not difficult. We've been preaching on a series of sermons on the church. Uh, Really, so far, we've built a sentence on what the church is, the definition of the church. And here's our definition so far. The church is an accountable people who are led and leadable, who are taught and teachable, who are loved, and where we're going this morning, loving. So we've had... This will be our sixth message in this. We're calling it 5B because loved and loving just go together. We're going to be in one passage this morning, 1 John chapter 4. So go ahead and turn there. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Just three things I want to draw out of this passage this morning. The first, regarding the church, the first is that love is an outflow of what's been done for you. Outflowing love is characteristic of the church, that word outflowing being key. Look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What has been done for us is a word I introduced last week. It's not a common word. It's not one that you even hear in Bible studies or sermons very often, but we should. It's the word propitiation. Just because it's a big word, don't be afraid of it. It's just a parking place for a thought. So learn where your parking place is. Grab that word. The thought is that we've wronged a holy God. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. God is so holy and sinful, is so corrosive that the penalty for that sin, even one, is death. And what propitiation is, it's where someone else steps in our way. Someone else steps in our stead and bears the wrath that we were due. We stand in the shadow of Christ, hunker down behind him, and he bore the wrath that was due us on the cross. That's propitiation. That is love. And then in verse 11, beloved, if God loved us so to propitiate for us in the work of his son, to absorb wrath that we were due in his son, we also ought to love one another. I want to introduce you to an image. It's one that you may have heard before from me, but it's just too good to not pass up this morning. I think it's too, too good. It's just visual. It's like a death row inmate. The death row inmate needs to take it all in. We need to take in the, the picture and image of being on death row. Because in this story that's about to unfold, you get to encounter both propitiation and grace. We need to reckon with our place on death row. We need to own our sin and know that, in fact, the wages of sin is death, and we are rightfully on death row. All of us. 
All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We need to get acquainted with the stuffy confines of our prison cell. We need to periodically hear neighboring doors unlock and hear the shuffle of somebody taking their last steps down the green mile to go down to the chamber that we're due. We need to hear the lights or see the lights flicker and hear a surge of electricity as someone else gets their due. Because when that happens, when judgment takes place, we're reminded that our time is coming. And in feeling the full weight of what we know we deserve, imagine now that someone steps in our place. Imagine now that someone that you don't even know Not someone that you sent a letter to, please come save me. Someone that sought you out. Volunteers to take your place on death row. And we have to know that it's voluntary because he even says, no one takes my life from me for I give it of my own accord. Imagine that day that you walk to the gate. You're let out of your prison cell going, man, what's going on? And they give you the dirty clothes that you checked in with a few years earlier. They give you the chains that you had in your pockets. You put those shoes on that you haven't seen in a few years. And they march you to the front gate. And as you're leaving the front gate, you see someone else coming in. Bound and shackled. You see someone else coming in with a look of peace and resolve on their face. And then at the appointed hour, this someone walks your green mile down the Via Dolorosa. That someone submits to your beating, submits to your insults, to mocking, and ultimately to your chair. That someone takes your voltage. If we can just consider for a moment and take in both the propitiation and grace of that moment. Take it in, verse 10 and 11. That in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he sought us out. He took our place. He sent our son to be the propitiation for what we were due. Beloved, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. If we can take in that connection and keep that in view, we've got to ask some hard questions. How then would we spend the rest of our lives? If you'd been on death row, if you were acquainted with the confines of your cell, if you saw the lights flicker from time to time and you knew what was happening, if you were acquainted with your due and you knew what you'd been saved from, how then ought we live? Could we possibly go back to our old lives? Could we possibly go back to whatever put us on death row? Run to, running to it? Willingly? Could we, like a dog, return to our vomit? Could we possibly forget his face? This one that volunteered and sought us out and took our place on death row. Could we possibly? If he'd have written some things down, if we found later on after he had taken our voltage that he recorded some words, he had a journal or some writings or some teachings, you'd want to know every word he said. So where are they? I want to go devour those words. I want to abide in those words. You would want to trumpet also what he did for you. How could you keep silent? You remember your cell. You remember what you do. And you remember what he did. How could I keep silent about that? 
You would want to trumpet what he did to you and you would want to be the kind of man to others that he was for you because he transformed you. Now imagine that that chair was not the end. Imagine if you can that the death that you should have taken in that chair could not hold him. Imagine now that he lives and is seated at the right hand of the righteous judge that judged him. Now, instead of being driven just by gratitude and taking in the weight of what had happened, now you're driven by worship and wonder and awe. You're ravaged by this story. You're transformed by this story, and you will never be the same. You tell it to everyone you'd met. You'd talk to him. You'd talk about him. You would sing about him. You would write about him. Could you keep from singing songs about him? Could you keep from thinking about him? You'd think about him daily. And everything that you are, everything that you do, would be an outflow of what had been done for you and to you. That's outflowing love. And if you found by chance that he's not the only person that he did that for, but you found through Facebook or networking or something, you found there are other people out there that he did this for also, you'd want to get together in like reunions and swap stories about his greatness. You would want to remind each other, can you believe what he did for us? That thing that I'm talking about, those reunions, they take place for us like Sundays where the church gathers and we remind each other, this is what Christ did for us. Remember how your cell felt? Remember how cold it was? Remember how those lights flickered for others? Remember the scandal of someone that stepped in our place with a look of peace and resolve on his face? How could we possibly leave unchanged? You'd recount everything that had been done for you every time you gathered Delivered up to remind each other of the greatness of your replacement, the greatness of your deliverer, the greatness of your Savior. And that group of people, friends, is called the church. That's who the church is, a bunch of freed death row inmates. Stupefied, amazed, chagrined by what had been done for us. Scandalized by not getting our due. If you forget this, let me, let me bring this home, this first point. If you forget this, which is so easy to do, if you forget this, you can so easily move into a Christless Christianity, a crossless church that is a bunch of moral policemen that never worship. You can be a daddy that reads his Bible to his family, but never worships. If we ever begin to assume this, then we've lost the fuel for outflowing love. Then we've just become a bunch of moral policemen, impotent. But the church, a proper church, is to love as an outflowing love because we're overwhelmed at what's been done for us. The second thing from this passage is that love shows up in a people. It's not just something that we talk about. Look at verse 9. In this, just notice this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, God's love was, notice, made manifest. There's a this. It's not just an idea. It's not just a warm feeling that God had for us. Um, I love people. There's a this. There's a manifest love expressed. Somebody showed up and somebody did something. Look at verse 10. It shows up again. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved, God sent, and God died. Again here, there's a this, and that this is Christ sent and Christ sacrificed. It is love manifest. Love as defined here, which is where we, the people, the church, must define love. It's characteristic of the church. Has a this. It's expressed. It's not just a feeling that we amen and preach about and talk about. It's great. Love is great. It has teeth. It has hands. It has feet. It has a mouth. It touches people. It moves. It manifests itself into this. As I'm preparing this sermon this week and as I'm preparing for this morning, I'm thinking how easy is it for us to just talk about it and never be it? How easy it is for me to preach it and yet not live it. Man, it's easy to talk about it, to preach about it, to amen it, to agree with it, but it means nothing if it has no this. There's no manifestation. I wonder if this looks like the church in Ephesus. They got a letter in the book of Revelation. Christ commended them on a lot of things, said, man, you guys held to the truth. Yeah, you held trite when there were were all strains of false teachings, but you know what you did? I have this against you, church at Ephesus. You left your first love. You left, you know what that means? You left the love that you had at first. You left the love that you had at first. It's possible to be tight around the truth and yet to have no expression of love. I wonder what happened to the church at Ephesus. Maybe they just got real busy. (laughs) Maybe there was just so much to do on those times where this might show up. I'm sorry, man. We got a busy schedule. We got no room for this. The economy's tight. We're having to work a lot of overtime. We got no room for this. I wonder what happened to the church at Ephesus. Did they just say, man, this is their draining and they're difficult? And surely agreeing with love is the same thing as loving, right? Jesus said, I have this against you. You've left the the love that you had at first. Y'all have got to know, we've got to know, Crosspoint as a church, we've got to know that love is not a feeling. Love is a this. Love is manifest. Love shows up. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, while we were yet sinners, God shows his love for us in this, that Christ died for us. He shows up. He shows it to us. There's a this. Man, look at verse 8. We've got to take this in. In verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. His love has a this. So anyone whose love does not have a this doesn't know God because God is love. 
and God's love has a this. You see that? Anybody that just has some warm feelings but has no this, that's not God's love. Love without expression is not love at all. Look at verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love, here manifest his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Love without a this and a manifest is a lie. If we don't love the scene in our kitchen, in our neighborhoods, in our community, those who we can see and touch, then we lie about loving the unseen. We're lying to ourselves and we're lying to everybody else if there is no manifest love. But the church is to love tangibly. The church has a this. I hesitate to throw out some things that it might look like, but here's just a few things. Love might look like this, a dad loving his son by spending time with him. Good time. A mom loving her daughter by spending time with her. When it's easier to just do things herself, she's walking through things, spending time with her daughter, explaining to her what she's doing. A husband listening to his wife and not checking out at the end of the day is a this. Men. A husband giving her his best rather than his leftovers when he rolls up in the house at the end of the day. A family knowing and being known by their church, that's a this. Because let me tell you, people, it's easy to stay on the fringes. Because guess what? Because when you're known and when you're knowable and when you're knowing, you will disappoint others and others will disappoint you. It's easier to stay at the fringes. But love has a this. At Crosspoint, a couple of thises are small groups and Bible studies. It's a this. Love participates in things like that. Families engaging a few things that we do together. The few things that we do as a church. Families engaging things like a work day at a park that's not even on our side of town. Painting swings that our kids won't swing on. Picking up trash that we didn't throw down. That's love having a this. And why does love have a this? Because someone else picked up our trash. Love has a this. Maybe families engaging a work day, a day passing out flyers in a neighborhood we don't even live in. Maybe it's a couple completely content with each other, adopting a child that is a fatherless. That's a this. A family completely content in and of themselves. Then why are we even considering this? Then well, love has a this. Love manifests. People showing up at 6.30 a.m. on Thursday mornings to pray for other people, not even themselves. That's a this. Free babysitting for a couple of tired parents is a this. Trust me. That's a this. It's a sweet this. Walking with difficult people in difficult marriages is a this. It's hard, but it's a this. Being in a difficult marriage and not quitting is a this. That's where love is made manifest. It shows up. Serving faithfully in a children's ministry where it's actually a priority. That's a this. 
You want to know where a this is? Man, those are a bunch of thises. And that's just a few. There's so much more. And we're doing these things not out of some compulsion or duty, but because God so loved us. Love shows up for those who've been loved in this way. If love has no this for the seen, we're lying about our love for the unseen. Let's just shoot straight. Third, love looks like and sounds like the cross. The church loves with Christ. As God's love isn't this big gooey idea, this just unspecific, just air. As his love is specific and surgical in the person and work of Jesus Christ, so must the love of the church be. Our love for the world, whether it's love for our kids, love for our wives, husbands, love for our friends and family, love for the church, love for our community, love for the lost, will look like God's love for us. Let's look at it in verse 10 again. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He loved us with a sin-cleansing sacrifice of Christ. If we define love as that, then we have to be more sparing with the word love. We don't love Whataburgers. We don't love Gap jeans. We don't love turkey sandwiches. If this is love, use that word carefully. Our love is to be like this. It's to be, first of all, sacrificial and expensive because propitiation wasn't cheap and easy. It was sacrificial and expensive for him to even leave the right hand of the Father to take on fallen flesh, to walk in a dusty land, sin-free, and to submit himself to a cross was not cheap and easy. Giving up a Saturday for a this will never be easy. There's so many things to do on a Saturday, right? It will always be expensive to express the kind of love that he's expressed for us. Giving money to someone who needs it will never be cheap and easy. It will always hurt. The this of our love will be sacrificial and it will cost you something. And King David was offered the threshing floor that would later be the site for the temple, Ornan the Jebusite's threshing floor, Ornan tried to offer to him, just go ahead and take it, David. He said, no, I'm paying the full price because I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. Love is sacrificial and it costs us something. Let's be real honest. Some of us, many of us are more sacrificial in making money and keeping our jobs than we are in the things of God. Many of us will give up a Saturday for overtime, but the notion of a Saturday painting playground equipment that we will not climb on is out of the question. We might feel guilty, but guilt passes. Are we learning to live with it? Let's be really honest. When we talk about sacrificial love, we can rearrange our schedules for a fun trip, but a commitment to child care must not cramp us. Because that's a sacrifice, right? Or we'll work with a bad back and worn out knees. But if we have a hangnail on a Sunday, oh, I'm sleeping in. Let's be really honest. 
The love of the church, though, is to look like the cross. And we, I'm, t- I'm just shooting really honest with you. I'm talking about me too. We have a lot to learn about sacrificial love. Every last one of us. I don't see any of us bleeding to fulfill our love commitments to each other. We have a lot to learn about expensive, sacrificial, outflowing love. Also from this picture of he loved us with a sacrifice Christ, we have to appreciate that his love is directed at the undeserving. He loved those who were due wrath. He loved those who made a bunch of bad decisions like you and me. So as an expression of this, the church is to be about loving others who have made a bunch of bad decisions. Loving those who may not have read Dave Ramsey. Right? Loving those who may not even know who Gary Smalley is. And they're ready to choke each other in their marriages. Loving those who've made some really bad decisions. I encourage you as families to carve out time to sacrifice. Yes, let's embrace that word. Sacrifice an expensive time to be involved in something like a woman's heart pregnancy clinic. To be involved in the Hope Center, the fish ministry, the prison ministry. Chances are you'll have no cheerleaders. We won't do any cheers for you because it's just who we are as a people. It's what we do as an expression of outflowing, expensive love directed at the undeserving. Lastly, if love looks like and sounds like the cross and the church loves with Christ, we need to recognize that he loved us with himself. What are we doing as the church if all we do is show up and paint playground equipment? If all we do is pick up trash... What are we doing as the church if all we do is adopt some fatherless kids? What are we doing if that's all we do? We've got to appreciate that the way that Jesus loved is he loved by teaching about himself. Everything was about himself. Every healing, every loaf, every fish pointed back to himself. He loved the world with himself. So the church is to love the world, all those surrounding us, with Christ. If you give somebody a sandwich, but don't give them the bread of life, they're still dead. You just prolong the agony. We're to love them with Christ. We do have an ulterior motive. Don't apologize for it. I want Grand Park, I want the north side of town to know we painted playground equipment, not so it would look better, but so that you could come to know Christ. So that someone may may know Christ through this. We pick up trash with an ulterior motive so that we can tell others about someone who's picked up our trash. We adopt with the ulterior motive to tell that formerly fatherless about our Jesus. A dad spends time with his boy in the backyard or somewhere hunting throwing a ball back and forth, not so he can learn to throw a ball better, not so he can shoot a deer, but so he can have his undivided attention for a few minutes to share with him his Jesus. Or if all he loves him with is a few hours worth of ball throwing and a few hunting trips, he's not loved his boy. You see that? A man that says he loves his wife, yet he's not ministering to her by washing her, cleansing her with the word. 
He doesn't love her. A lot of men need to confess that. I haven't loved you, babe. I thought I did. But I haven't loved you as love is defined here in 1 John chapter 4. I want to love you with Christ. That's what the church does. We have an ulterior motive, and it's a sweet one. Appreciate you guys hanging in there this morning. Just uh, I'm going to have kind of the rest of this sermon on email later on this week. You know, I can't stand with a sermon this short, and I've got lots of sermon left that I'll actually send out um, in written form, and we can engage it over the course of this week. But let's close our morning in prayer and song. Y'all pray with me, please. Lord, I pray this morning, some of these things that we've engaged, this sort of love that's sacrificial and expensive, that's directed at the undeserving, that loves specifically with Christ, I pray that it's been both challenging, I pray that it's been diagnostic, I pray that it's been prescriptive all at the same time. And Lord, I pray that as an expression of the love that's been directed at us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that we can truly grow into being a loving people. And Lord, I pray that you will guard us from ever being a church who has left the love that we had at first. Lord, I pray that we can love the truth and hold to the truth, but that our love will show up. Our love will be manifest, that our love will have a this. We love you now in song, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship in song.